And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, there was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time, when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou calledst me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Our second lesson is also found in the third chapter of the first book of Samuel. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. May God bless us with an understanding of this part of his word. The first three chapters of the first book of Samuel have an important message to convey. They speak a message that tells about personal faith, 
They speak a message that tells about what happens when the church goes corrupt. They teach a message that tells about what happens to a nation which abandons righteousness. Homes are made up of individuals. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of the prophet Samuel, is a God who spoke through a home. Here is a woman whose name is Hannah. She wanted more than anything in all the world to bear a child, and yet she was childless. She wanted a son. And this good woman, Hannah, knew where to go with the burden of her heart. And so in great prayer, she went to God. And she made a prayer to God with all of her soul that God would grant her the request of her heart, which would be the gift of a little boy, a man-child. She had gone up to the house of God to pray, and there she had made her sacrifices to God, and the bitter anguish of her soul was so great that there before the doors of the house of God she muttered in prayer. She murmured and the great tears fell from her face and in agony she moaned before God. And Eli, about whom we shall think in a few moments, who represented the establishment of his day and feeble as he was, because of what had happened in his own home, saw this woman at prayer and made a very hasty judgment about her. He thought that she was a daughter of Belial and that she was drunk. And so Eli spoke to her and he said, Why don't you put away your wine? What are you doing drunk here at the house of God? And Hannah spoke. She was in bitterness of soul she had prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. And so she told Eli, the priest, what her soul desired most. And Eli, and may it always be said to his credit, regretted the harsh and hasty judgment which he had made upon Hannah. And he quickly withdrew what he said. Hannah spoke to him and said, No, my Lord, I am not a woman. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaiden for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken. And then Eli here speaks a word as a promise from God. Go, he says to Hannah, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And so she said, let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. And so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And she rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to her house. And later, in process of time, she bears a son. A friend spoke to me the other night about Samuel and said maybe if we had more mothers like Hannah, we would have more preachers like Samuel. Here is a woman who prayed unto God with all of her soul. And if we really learn to pray unto God for our children, 
before they are ever born into the world, and all the way along in life we pray for them. Perhaps some of the havoc which the devil is able to reap among our children today would not come to pass. At any rate, Hannah prayed, and God answered her prayer. And the story is beautiful indeed. How, when this little boy was born, she gave his name Samuel, because I have asked him of the Lord. And how she fulfilled her vow unto God by saying, And as long as he shall live, he is lent unto the Lord. And when the little boy was weaned, she took him as a tiny little child to the house of God. And she left him there with Eli the priest. And every year she made for him a coat and she brought it up there and she gave it to him. And little Samuel grew up in the house of God. And as his little feet became stronger and his hands became stronger and he could think better and do more tasks, he opened the doors of the house of God each morning. He closed, closed them each evening. He kept the lamps burnished and polished and filled with oil. And all the while around the house of God there were two very base and evil and wicked and sorry and rotten priests. And yet with all of their baseness and rottenness, this boy was unaffected by it all. And I think it must have been due to the prayers of his mother, which continually went up before God day and night with all the earnestness of her soul for him. One of the greatest of all of the fathers of church history is Augustine. And Augustine, libertine, sensual, debauchee, who kept running away from Christ, could not run away from the prayers of a righteous mother who prayed day and night for him until at last he listened and heard the word of God and was converted. And all of us who have any knowledge of church history bless God for the gift of St. Augustine and what he made to the church through his brilliant mind and his dedicated heart. And I do not doubt but what it came from the prayers of his Christian mother. We sing a hymn sometimes called Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know where that hymn came from? Or how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear that we sang a moment ago? A man by the name of John Newton, an infidel, another libertine, a debauchee, whose mother died when he was six years old, but whose mother had taught him, even from his infancy until the age of six, about faith in God and faith in Christ, and she had prayed over him. And when he was a slaver hauling slaves from Africa to Charleston, South Carolina, and when he got into a storm at sea, and stark terror filled his soul, and he wondered if he would die, he screamed out to the God of his mother to have mercy upon him and save him. And the God of his mother saved John Newton that day. And as a result of it, we got one of the greatest men in the history of the Christian church through that great preacher and poet and hymn writer, John Newton.
and yet his mother had died when he was six. And John Newton, in his later years, preaching upon texts similar to this this day, said that I doubt not but what I reap the fruits of my mother's prayers now. And so Hannah prayed for her boy. But here there is a contrast. There is a contrast between a lowly and humble soul named Hannah and a priest of God whose name is Eli. And I must confess that my heart goes out with great sympathy to Eli the priest. For you see, Eli the priest was a man who had many functions to perform as a minister of God. Not only was he to be the prophet, not only was he to be the priest, but he was the judge who sat at the gates of the city and gave judgments on what is right and what is wrong. And Eli the priest and the prophet and the judge had always to be gone about doing so many busy things that doubtless his two sons, who grew up to be priests also, did not really come to know God at all, but became sons of Belial. And the scriptures are very plain when they tell us in chapter 2 of Samuel how these men committed immorality with the women who came to the house of God. They tell us how they abused their power and how they lusted after money. And here the priest of God himself produces two very sons of the devil. And if we did not find it in our Bible, we would think it impossible that this priest of God could have two such sorry sons as he had. And poor old Eli. Eli did not know how to restrain them. He could not keep them from the evil that they were doing. And I must confess again that I have some sympathies with Eli here. He had been so busy here and there about so many things and helping so many other children to get into the kingdom that he lost his own two who were daily at the house of God and yet did not marvel at it nor did not appreciate it nor did not thank God for it. And this is a sad thing. And if you want to read a sermon that will put you under conviction, a message that will keep you from sleeping, some words that will cause you to get out on your knees and pray to God for your children, lest they be lost, go somewhere and find a book by a great Scottish preacher named Alexander White called Bible Characters. And read the essay that Alexander White has on Eli. Who would ever think anyone could preach such a sermon or make such an essay or write such profound words? But when you read the words that he speaks about Eli, it brings to you a new appreciation for those whose lives have been dedicated to religion and to the teaching and preaching of Christian truth and yet who somehow miss the way and their own children are lost. And Alexander White can make you tremble. And he presents a defense there of Eli. He says that Eli, as feeble as he was, was not envious of the little child Samuel who had been brought back and dedicated to the temple. And what his own two boys never turned out to be, this little boy of a mother who prayed for him, becomes. 
And what he never knew in his own ministry as a judge and a priest and a prophet in Israel, all of that comes to pass to the salvation of the nation uh, through this man, Samuel, who will grow up in the temple. And so read, if you can find it, Alexander White's essay on Eli. And when you read it, think about your own children and pray. Pray earnestly. Pray fervently. Every time I baptize a little child, I say to the parents, you promise to pray with and for this child, to teach him to read the word of God, to teach him the principles of our holy faith. Remember that vow? It's a very sacred vow and one that God means for us as parents to carry out. You could spread out the first three chapters of Samuel completely by speaking about Mother's Day, Father's Day, Church Day, Nation Day. You could talk about them all here because they're all there. You see, God raises up this little boy at a time when the land was wild and lawless. When every man did his own thing. Every man did what he considered right in his own eyes. And there was rebellion. And there was anarchy in the land. And there was rottenness in the church. And there was a breakdown in the home. And all of this is in America today. And we have not yet seen the bitter fruits of permissiveness like we will see them ten years from now. Unless God brings a great revival that can reverse the trends which we see now. Well, when this nation was in that state, you read, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Well, how, how will God bring back the word of the Lord and how will God make plain a vision to his people? He will do it through the prayers of a mother. He will do it through a little child who is dedicated to him. And so that little boy Samuel there in the temple, filling the lamps with oil and polishing them and opening the doors, there's the secret of it all. We're always looking for great programs. We're always looking for great plans. We're always looking for new and novel methods. But God is always looking for little boys and little girls who will be dedicated to him, who can be sensitive to his voice and hear him. I can remember walking Sunday after Sunday down on West Kaufman Street to the old First Presbyterian Church. And there in the session room, right behind the organ, where the elders met for prayer before church, and the minister met with them and they prayed. I used to see sometimes in the session room when I passed by, and I can remember as a little boy, just five or six years old, somehow I thought God was specially in that room. And I used to want to go and peek in the room, because I thought God was in that room. They went in there and they talked to him every Sunday. And the elders came out and marched out into the sanctuary and took their places. And the preacher walked up to the pulpit and he preached his message. And in that room, 
I used to see a famous picture that many of us have taken home from Sunday school. It was painted almost 200 years ago by Sir Joshua Reynolds. And it was a picture of the child Samuel in the temple kneeling by his little bed listening for the voice of God. And beneath it was that simplest, powerful prayer that if we prayed it when we came to church, we'd go away different from when we came in. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That's the prayer that Samuel made. Do you ever seriously pray that prayer? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And if you'll speak to me, Lord, I'll listen to you. And not only will I listen to you, but I'll do what you want me to do, Lord. Is it a real prayer? Open my eyes, illumine me. Is it a real prayer? Let my tongue speak your praises. Is it a real prayer? Open my ears. I want to hear you, God. Do you? Well, if we do, we'll begin praying. Praying for our own souls and our own relationship to God and praying for our own children and their relationship to God and praying for our own nation and its great need of revival in our own church and its need of a movement of the Spirit of God. And when we do, then the word of the Lord will appear again in Shiloh and he will come back. Eli, Eli was asleep spiritually as well as physically and his eyes were dim spiritually as well as with old age. And it took him three times to realize that the voice that spoke to little Samuel was the voice of God. But bless God, when Eli did receive the truth into his soul, he told that little boy, go back. Go back and kneel down, and when that voice speaks to you again, then you say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Remember that. And so that's exactly, that's exactly what Samuel did. And voice, the voice came once more and spoke. It was a terrible message to reveal to a little child. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things I have spoken concerning his house. What I begin I will make an end. I have told him I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. And because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. What a message to give to a little boy. But the next morning when old Eli questioned the little boy and asked him what God had said to him. And told him not to hold back anything. The little boy told Eli all the truth. And let it ever be said to Eli's praise that Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth right in his own eyes. And the end of that story is that these ambitious and vile boys had gone into a war. And they were killed. And when the word came back and Eli heard that word, he was seated at the gate where the judge sits. And you remember how when he heard the word he fell backwards and his neck was broken and he died. And in my mind's eye I've heard the breaking of his neck. 
because it was a horrible judgment of God. And yet the old man had failed to restrain. And we are pity for him. Busy, busy, busy with so many things. And his two boys are lost. And the message is fearful for us to be praying and to seek after righteousness. Now what about Samuel? Samuel and his voices speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I've only seen two plays produced by a professional company in my whole life. I'm glad that I saw them both. One of them was Joan of Arc by George Bernard Shaw. I saw it at the Edinburgh Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland about 10 years ago. I'll never forget seeing that play. Joan of Arc died, was burned at the stake, and her ashes were taken and thrown into the river when she was 19 years of age. Joan of Arc had heard the voice of God speaking to her, and she obeyed the voice of God. And God accomplished great and mighty things through Joan of Arc. A nation was saved. This little boy Samuel came in a wild and lawless time and God spoke to him. And he obeyed the voice of God. And God used him to bring righteousness into a nation. I am convinced of this, that if in America the current stirring among our young people produces a fruition of dedication that will issue forth in ministers and teachers and preachers of the word of God who will be faithful to that vision and that voice which is called them, there can be a reversal of the trends that exist. And something can happen in America that will change it. That will change the hearts of individuals and will change homes. And will change the church. And will change the whole nation from top to bottom in a way that will be good. How do you hear the voice of God? God speaks to us through history. Through these patriarchs and prophets and psalmists and apostles. And best of all through Jesus Christ. God speaks to us by the inner impressions of the Holy Spirit. Convicting us of sin and telling us to go ahead and yield our lives to the Lord. One of the things I admire so much about so many of the young people is that. They're not ashamed of the name of Jesus. They're not ashamed to pray. They're not ashamed to witness. They're not ashamed to live for him. And God says in this passage of scripture, those who honor me, him I will honor. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. God speaks to us through the help of an older friend or a true minister of the word of God. I've often thought of my own call into the Christian ministry. 
how I feared it, and yet one night I knelt by my bed and I said, God, if you make it plain to me, I'll surrender my life and I will be what you want me to be. And I did not want to be a minister. And God made it plain. And I went to the greatest old Christian, an old woman 80 years of age, and told her that God had spoken to my heart. And she gave me those very words which were given to Samuel. She said, go back and kneel and pray to God and say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And I did. And he had made it plain. And I followed that call. And I've often thought of the inspiration of that life and of what an effect it had. And about Eli and little Samuel and the fact that Eli could look upon that boy and show him love. Eli had been hasty that day he accused Samuel's mother of being drunk. But now he made up for all of his hasty and uncharitable words by showing love and kindness to her little boy. So don't discount the older Christian who has been far been with Jesus Christ. He can say a word that will make your ears tingle. She may be of help to you. Listen to what my old friend wrote me. She was saying about her life. My meat and drink has been to get God's point of view and to act from it. Could you say that honestly? My meat and drink has been to get God's point of view and act from it. My daily delight to carry out his will. Do you delight to do his will? My threefold prayer. One, to be the spokesman of Jesus when he needed me. Two, to teach with such faithfulness that strong men and women should stand on my teaching and battle for the right, sure of God. And three, to be so good that my presence should speak for God when my lips might timidly falter. No wonder she could say with authority, go back and kneel down and pray and ask if he has anything further to say to you for God was real to her. And she followed him day after day in life. You can develop an ear for God. You can develop an ear for listening to his voice. Or you can blunt the sensitivity to God. You can allow the noises of the world to crowd him out of your life. You can blunt the taste for spiritual things by putting into your life the appetites of the world and the flesh and the devil. Or you can develop what Paul called that fine sense of discrimination that gives you a sense of what is right and what is wrong, just as my senses can tell me certain things physically. I can have a spiritual sense that tells me certain things spiritually. I'll never forget 
one visit that John Finley Williamson, the great founder of Westminster Choir College, made here to Montreat Anderson College. We had brought in people from all over this whole Western North Carolina area, choirs who wanted to work under John Finley Williamson in a choir clinic. One Wednesday night, he took the prayer meeting and he talked about worship and music, and it was a great blessing uh, to hear him speak. And I remember coming out here in the chapel and listening to him and marveling at the old man and watching him as he directed this choir. I remember one girl who was not pronouncing a word correctly in the, in, the, in the anthem that they were singing. And John Finley Williamson, although he must have been 80, walked over there and went down these steps. And he came over to this little girl and he said, you are pronouncing this word wrong. And there must have been 150 voices, but he could hear one voice that was wrong. He said, I've heard you and this is the second time that I have told you. Now, he said, I am an old man, but if I have to walk down here ten times, I'll walk down here ten times and tell you you're pronouncing this word wrong. And I want you to say it right. He came back up here. Then later, he came back in my study, and he sat down in one of the cloth chairs there. And I told him, I said, you know, Mr. Williamson, I remember one time hearing a story that I couldn't believe, a famous musician told me that he was present when Fritz Reiner, who did conduct the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, was in Cincinnati for a rehearsal of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. And in a symphony orchestra you will have uh, 12 to 15 first violins, 10 to 12 second violins, you've got violas, you've got cellos, you've got bass violins, you've got all of those stringed instruments. And all in all, there will be over a hundred instruments that will be uh, being played. And he told me that Fritz Reiner had, had given the downbeat, and the instruments were playing, and he yelled, Stop! And everyone paid attention. And Fritz Reiner gave the downbeat again, and again they started, and Fritz Reiner yelled, Stop! They all stopped. And for a third time, Fritz Reiner came down with his baton and the instrument started and Fritz Reiner screamed, stop it. And he walked from the podium and he went to the place where the violin section was and he walked right through the violins and he stopped at one man and took his violin from him. He plucked one string. He put the bow to it. He handed it back to the man and he said, tune your instrument. He heard one string that was out of tune. That's how sensitive his ear was. What God is looking for. What God wants. Will be people who are not playing church. People who are not pretending religion. People who just do not want to religious influence on their life, but people who will be sensitive and listen to his voice and obey his voice. Obey him. And as we obey him, we can see God in his glory and authority and power, in his comfort and peace and strength, bring back to us as in individuals 
integrity and authority, the authority of a righteous life, bring back to our homes a spiritual faith which our children will see as is not phony, but it is real, and bring back into the congregation and into the whole church of Christ a strong breath of the Spirit of God that will speak to the world. My God is real. I can feel him in my soul, and I obey him with my day-by-day walk in life. May God grant that as he speaks, we may listen and obey. Let us stand in prayer. O God, our Father, in the stillness of this moment, we bless thee for thy gracious presence in our midst. We pray that thou wilt impress upon us a deeper desire, a deeper hunger and thirst after holy things and that thou wilt bless us that we may listen for thee, and hearing thy voice obey thee as we go forth from this chapel this day. Take us from here with a desire to seek for thee in the scriptures, and to seek for thee in the places of worship, to seek for thee, O God, in the counsel of good and godly friends, and enable us to show the reality of our faith by fleshing it out in day-by-day acts of love and faithfulness to thee and to our children and in our church and in our nation. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our guide be and abide with us all now and forevermore.